It's good to be back home tonight. The brethren in Trustville send their thanks for letting them borrow me for the morning. And I was really impressed with the, the series of lessons that they were doing and they asked me to speak on. We were speaking directly about moral issues that we face as the church. And it would be nice to say that we don't face moral issues in here, but we do. And getting those lessons prepared for their series kind of prompted the lesson that I'm going to present to you tonight. Um, I want us to consider the power of influence. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, read with me there, as we consider what Paul says to the Corinthian church about how they're used and what they are and what they mean to the church. In verse 1 he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, Letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letters of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I hope you caught what he said there. Because the power of influence is staggering. In 1846, astronomers watching the peculiar behavior of the planet Uranus deduced that it must have been under the influence of another planet because of things that were going on in its orbit and the things that were happening and affecting uh, the the planet and where it was. And so once they were convinced, now this this is 1846, remember that. Once they were convinced, they pointed their telescopes in the correct direction and discovered the planet Neptune. The behavior of one planet affected the other planet. And in that influence, they discovered what was there all along. And the point I want to make is influence, by definition, is that a moral or spiritual force or power, or capacity, by which we have an effect. That's really what we're looking at here, an effect upon a person, or a condition, or development. And because of that, everyone in this room has been influenced by someone. And everyone in this room will influence someone. That's the way a social community works. We are all influenced by many things. The most prominent, we're influenced by each other. We're influenced by the actions, the people we admire. We are also influenced by the people who we dislike. All behavior leads to one sort of influence or another. And so the question is, is what kind of influence will we be? In studying at Trustville this weekend about the moral issues that the church faces, I was asked to speak about homosexuality. And that's a tough one to talk about. Because it is a hot topic in our culture right now. Where there are so many arguments, but they all lean to one side or another. And we miss the fact that the Christian has the unique response to tell the world that yes, because of Scripture, because of what I believe God teaches on the subject, you are wrong. But you were also loved. 
And by extension, we can say that we all are much worse than we think we are. And yet we are all far more loved than we can ever imagine. And we're commended in the Bible to influence by way of persuasion. Look also in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says this, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. What he's saying there is that we use the Bible. We use the Word of God to persuade others to come to him and be reconciled. When we look in the book of Acts, in that great scene there on the day of Pentecost, Peter's words, using the Word of God, Peter persuaded those men who were present. And their consciences were affected. It says they were cut to the heart. They were offended by what he said. But their response was correct. And they were influenced. They were persuaded. And so we use the Bible. We use the word of God to persuade others to come to him and be reconciled. To turn away from this world and its sinful appetites. But what happens when we aren't able to share the word? That's not everyone's strong suit. We know the Bible says that some are given to be preachers, some teachers, some evangelists. And we know that the body is made up of many members. And not everyone is a speaker. Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone can do that. But there's one thing that we all can do. And that there is no preference and there is no escaping. We all must live in a way that exemplifies what it is that we profess. See, often in life we won't have time. Or maybe we won't have the opportunity to sit and study with someone. Or maybe that's just not something the rebel do, like I said, for various reasons. And so what do we do to lead others to Christ when speaking to people or studying may not be your strength? Well, I'm sure you've heard this phrase. And this is the basis for the lesson tonight. You may very well be the only Bible some people ever get to read. We may be the Bible. The only Bible that some ever read. And so we have to understand the power of our influence. Because, yeah, you may not be a speaker. You may not be a teacher. But if you are a disciple, you are to be living this out. And your life should shout who it is and what it is that you serve. Even if you never said a word, your life should do all the talking for you. And so let's take a look here at what it says. Because to be a Bible, as Paul said, to be a letter, to be an epistle, he calls us. Some translations say that you are epistles. That is to make our life and the way that we live it and the choices we make and decisions we make and the way that we deal with situations, whether or not we buckle under the pressure and participate in sin, because that will absolutely have an influence over other people. One of the worst things that can happen to us is whenever we become hypocritical and we lose our influence because of our behavior. So we have to understand that buckling under the pressure to sin will influence people or we can stand strong in opposition to and use the opportunity to teach 
The point is, is our influence is the most powerful or one of the most powerful ways in which we can persuade others. That we can lead others to Christ, not by reading the Bible, but by being one that can be read. Jesus presents this moral force, this influence, using several metaphors. The most common are salt, light, and leaven. Two positive and one negative. And we need to understand that there's a stark contrast in being salt and light and being leaven. In today's lesson, we're going to study the metaphor used by Paul here that we first read and looked at. Back in 2 Corinthians 3, I'm going to read it again because he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? This was something that they obviously had an issue with. He says, do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Each one of us, we're salt and we're light. And here we are also a letter of recommendation or an epistle, depending on your translation. And you show that you're a letter from us, from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and not on tablets, but the stone tablets of the human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. We are his letters. We are epistles of Christ. Have you ever considered yourself that? I know we get the salt and light references, but have you ever considered yourself an epistle, a letter? We are his letters. Therefore, we may very well be the only Bible some people get to read by the way that we live our lives. And so I want to talk just about a few aspects of that, and then I'll be done. Epistles are always written on materials which have undergone a change. Materials that have been transformed. If the epistle was written on paper, then wood pulp or rags out of which paper was made underwent a change. So the very material that a letter was written on used to be a tree and now is paper. It's undergone a transformation. And in like manner, we cannot exert a wholesome influence for Christ until we have undergone a transformation, until we've undergone a change. This spiritual change is what we call conversion. This change, conversion, is vitally important. In Matthew 18, verse 3, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, that we transform, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There is an aspect there of transformation where we as adults have to become like children. And what that means is that we have transformed our mind to a point that we will trust God like a child trusts an adult. That we will humble ourselves to be submissive. And Acts 3 verse 19 says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We have to repent. We have to turn from what we're currently doing. And go another direction, which involves <coughs> transformation. And this change is produced by the word. The transformation that is produced in us is produced by the word of God and nothing else. It's nothing we do in and of ourselves. It's nothing that we can do until we have 
heard the power of salvation. Romans 1, 16. We know that his word is the power and the salvation. And Psalm 19, 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. For what exactly, David? Converting the soul. And so, if we are to be an epistle, we have to first have gone through a transformation. We first have to have been converted. And this transformation is threefold in nature. There's a change of heart, which is produced by faith. And we know that faith comes by hearing. And there's a change of life that means that when repentance takes place, I'm going to live in a different way than I was living. And then the change of state, lost to saved, is produced by baptism. By acting upon that faith and dying to myself with Christ. It's a threefold transformation that makes up conversion. And once we've been converted, then epistles are to be read. Epistles were written for the good of others, and they're read with the reader being influenced by them as they read it. Just as people will read letters, they must be able to read us. We must be visible. Not doing things to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to God. In 1 Peter 3, he says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And here are the qualifiers. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be a jerk. Man, we've been guilty of that. We've been guilty of desiring to be right more so than helping someone come to the right way of thinking. We've wanted to win an argument rather than win a soul. Here, we're to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that's in us, but we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good that if you, it should be God's will than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed. There it is. He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. One of the greatest ways that we can win souls to Christ by our lives is that people can read us like a book. They can read us like a letter. They can know what we're about because of the way that we live. You've heard me say this before, but no one should ever be shocked to find out that you're a Christian. I've seen that. I've seen that happen where they go, I had no idea that guy was a Christian. He doesn't live like it. He doesn't talk like it. She sure doesn't dress like it. She doesn't, she doesn't behave like it in public. She doesn't, her, her social media doesn't show that. That's influence. Whether for positive or negative, it's all influence. And we have to be read like a book. And it's one of the greatest ways that we can win souls to the Lord. Because the epistles were written for the good of others. For the good of others. The motto of all great men has been God first, others second, self last. And nowhere else was that example given 
as in the life of Christ. Christ lived for the good of others. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. In Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, whoever will be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be your slave. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. God first, other second, self last. Epistles are written for the good of others. Letters. These letters were written for the good of us. So we must also be for the good of others. Epistles were written to convey an expression of the author. When you read a book, you were reading an insert or piece of the mind of the author. You're getting insight into their character and their nature and the things that they care about. And so as epistles, we're to convey the expressions of the author. We're to give an expression of Christ into the world. We're to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2.5. We're to have Christ living in us, Galatians 2.20. We're to magnify Christ in our lives, Philippians 1 and verse 20. And, we, and our lives are to be transformed into the image of Christ. These are all expressions of the author. We are to be his expression. We are to be the thing that shows other people. We are to be the catalyst that leads them to God by the way that we behave, not just the things that we say. Because if the things we say don't match the things that we live, then there's no possible chance for influence. There's no way to persuade others. How often has our purpose been stunted and hurt because of the behavior of some Every time those Westboro Baptist people show up on the news, I just cringe because they don't represent me. And yet they hurt the influence of Christians because of what they seemingly proclaim. Yet the way they proclaim it is just awful and it's damaging. We are to be an expression of Christ. We're to have his mind. He is to be living in us and through us, and we are to magnify him in our lives. So that it's not Keith Stoneheart that you see. Keith Stoneheart should be dead because Christ lives in him. Our lives are to be transformed into his image. That we can truly show people the face of God in our face. That we can show people the hands of God in our hands reaching out. That our lives can truly be as Romans what. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, a living sacrifice. Because epistles also bear the signature of their father. To have seen Christ, Jesus said, was to have seen the father. He said to them in John 14, 9, have I been with you so long that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? And so when someone says they want to know about Christ, they ought to be able to know about Christ by the way that I conduct myself and the way that I live my life and the way that I lead my family and all those things ought to point 
somewhere. To say that if you've seen me, then you've seen Christ. Not that I'm Christ, not that, not, not that I have the power to save, not that I have the authority, but I am his letter. I'm an expression of the author. That I live in such a way that points to him that you don't see me anymore. You see him. You see his signature on me. We wear his name. As epistles of Christ, we wear the name Christian. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In the New Testament, the Lord's disciples were called by Christ's name. So understand that when you wear the name Christian, it means something. And that name is not your own, but it's his. So we don't have the authority to do with it what we want. But only what? He is authorized. But the truth is, is you can't even say the word Christian without saying Christ first. In Acts 4, verses 11 to 12, it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As epistles bearing the name of Christ, we are to live as to never bring shame upon that name. Often as parents, we send our kids out and we say, hey, remember who you are. And when we ask them to remember who they are, I hope first and foremost we mean remember that you're a Christian. But also remember that, that you represent me and your mom. That when you go out, that's Keith and Kelly Stonehearts, kid. And that the things that you do will reflect me and Kelly. Therefore, as we were the name Christ, the things that we do, or maybe the things that we don't do, will reflect the name of Christ. We bear his name. We bear the signature of the author as an epistle. This should be easy to read. You've heard me say often that the Bible is written on a fifth grade level. And what that means is, is that someone who is 10 or 11 years old can read this book and understand it. That it's written in a way that it's not impossible to understand. And yes, as the older I grow, and the more that I study, the more the scripture unfolds. But at its core, it is a very simple and basic book. It's very easy to understand the purpose and the meaning and the direction and the focus that my life should be when I read it. As our Lord's epistles, as his letters of recommendation, people should be able to easily tell that we are his disciples. Acts 4 and 13 says, Now when they saw their boldness, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. No one had to question that Peter and John had been with Jesus because of the way they acted the things that they said, 
the way that they dealt with situations that happened to them. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. We should be visibly identifiable by our actions. That no one should wonder. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Christians are to be different because Christ called us out to be different. The church, the ecclesia, means just that, the called out. We are not to be like everyone else, but we're to be easily read. And sure as I say that, some epistles don't contain much. The book of Philemon is not very long. It doesn't contain many words. And so sometimes I think that we think, well, Keith, I'm just, I'm just not that complicated of a person. I don't know that I can contain all this. It's not about the amount. It's about the quality of what's in. The book of Philemon is one of the shortest in all of Scripture, and yet it is packed with virtue. It is packed with powerful, powerful truth, and it is packed with a lesson for all of us if we should spend the time reading it. There was a new college freshman that wrote home to mom and dad. It's a very short note. Dear dad, no money, no fun, your son. So receiving the short note, the dad replied, dear son, no money, no fun, too bad, your dad. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to have many words to be meaningful. The abundant life is not about the abundance of things, but it is about the fullness of Christ in us. An epistle of Christ, we are to lead a full and abundant life, seeking to exert as a great influence for the glory of Christ as much and as often as we are able and as possible. Because Christ certainly lived an abundant life, though he had nowhere to lay his head. He went along. He went about doing good. In Acts 10, verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Notice the emphasis on fullness in the following text. In Acts 9, verse 36, it says, There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. Her fullness was in generosity. Her fullness were in acts of charity and kindness. You don't have to be a complicated person to be kind. You don't have to be a complex, deep person to be generous. You don't have to be 
anything special or great or magnificent to be an influencer on people. Charity and good works and kindness here is enough to influence someone for the good. In Romans 15, verse 14, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Fullness there of knowledge, fullness of goodness. That's enough. That is enough to influence. Because epistles can also become stained. Have you ever spilt coffee on your favorite book? The pages get stuck together and they become wrinkled. And every time you sit down to open that book, you've got to wrestle with those pages. To bring it home for me, if you've ever been out to eat with me, you know that if we sit down to eat, I'm going to get something on me. That's just how I roll. If we go eat, if, especially if we go eat Betskin, I'm going to have salsa right here. I'm going to have something on my shirt. I'm going to have something on my tie. I'm going to have something on my sweater. And what's the first thing people see whenever I walk up? There's a lot of area here to look at. And what people usually see first is that stain right there. They don't go, hey, man, nice shirt. Or, hey, man, great tie. They go, look at you, slob. It's easy to point out the stain, isn't it? It sticks out because it doesn't belong. A stain will always be the first thing that is seen. A blot will be the first thing that is seen. And the Christian must be extremely careful. Lest his life or her life become stained and spotted, for so often people will always see that more than the virtue that you possess. Y'all, we're flawed, frail creatures. We're weak at times. We fall. We make mistakes. But it's not about the mistake. It's how we deal with it. It's the fact that we get up when we fall. It's the fact that I say that I'm sorry and I move on. And I don't stay there. I don't wallow it. So often when we fall, we go, oh man, all hope is lost. I'm just going to stay here. I'm too far gone now. And that's not what the gospel tells us. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Falling does not mean you've fallen out. It means that you've fallen and you get back up and you repent. And there is no condemnation. In Revelation 1, verse 5, is this from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To be freed from our sins. Not just freed from the consequences, but freed from sin means that I don't stay in it when I fall. In James 1, verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, visit orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
The Christian has been washed white in the blood of Jesus. But sin and the world will spot and blot and blemish. And when Christians let their lives become blemished, their influence for good has greatly been hurt. And there is zero chance that you will lead anyone to Christ by living in sin. Write it down. Make no mistake. You will never lead anyone to Christ if you aren't headed there yourself. This is a must. And every Christian must resolve that he is going to maintain his spiritual purity at all costs. That I will do what it takes and that when I do fall, I will repent and I will move on. I won't stay there. I won't stay there and continue to let it stain me because the blood of Christ has washed me. To be unconcerned about maintaining our spiritual purity is to show a fundamental lack of appreciation for what Christ and his blood has done for us. And so the point I want to emphasize is this. Each one of us that have put on Christ have committed to being an influence in the world. That's just what you signed up for. When you decided to follow Jesus, when you were convicted in the heart, and you believed and you repented, and you died to yourself in baptism, the newness of life you were raised in was a life of influence. It's just what comes along with it. And each one of us have done that. We are his letters. We are his living sacrifices. We are salt. We are light. Or we are leaven. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So which will we be? We will never leave anyone to Christ. But the example that we give is hypocrisy or worldliness. Nothing cuts through high talking like fake walking. Christ didn't die for us to be fake. He died for our sake. In a world that is literally dying around us for something that is sincere and something that is authentic, we are the only ones that truly have the real deal. But we will influence no one for good when what we do is bad. So I'll leave you with a poem from Leroy Brownlow. And the lesson will be yours and the Lord's invitation will be extended. I pray that if you're sitting here and you need to respond, that you will. And ask yourself, is this you? In the poem that he penned so many years ago. There's a gospel according to Matthew, to Mark, to Luke and John too. And there's a gospel that many are reading, and that gospel is according to you. All teachings we find in the Bible, all facts we know to be true, you must live them to make them the gospel, the gospel according to you. Many read not the words of the Bible. I will tell you what some of them do. They are reading the book that you are writing, the gospel according to you. There's a great power of the gospel preaching. The Bible teaches that it's true, but the sermon most likely to influence others is the gospel according to you. God help us to be faithful to Jesus, 
to live all his teachings so true so that the, they may see his spirit and the gospel according to you. You are writing a gospel chapter each day by the things that you do, by the things that you say. Others read that gospel, whether faithfulness or true. So what is the gospel according to you? I pray that if you haven't been living in a way that Christ has called us, I pray that if you recognize that and that you've lost your influence, then I also think about it now. That you won't let another day go by with a stain continuing to grow, but that you'll stop it. That you'll come back and regain your influence. When salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing to be trampled underfoot. Christ is the only thing that can restore your saltiness. And when your light has been put out, he is the only one that can light it because he is the light that is shown in men. He is the light of men. If you're here and need to come back to Christ, I pray that you do so now as we stand and sing.